Dear church family, what is true repentance? It's an important question, isn't it? Somebody were to come up to you and ask, what must I do to be saved? There's really only one answer that you can give them, right? Repent of your sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would be the initial repentance. But also, in the life of the saints... Martin Luther, in his first out of his 99 theses, would say that saints should live a life of daily repentance. So, repentance is an essential component of the life of grace and even of salvation itself. But have you ever wondered, what is true repentance? Have you ever struggled with the question, have I really repented? By God's grace, we've been given a very good and comprehensive example that is set before us in Psalm 51. Now, what's the, what's the story behind this Psalm 51? And children, you probably know the story, Right? King David had taken a woman that was not his own. And to cover up his sin, he essentially murdered her husband. And this whole process took about a year. And all the while, he's trying to be quiet about it and cover it up. But you all know that then the prophet Nathan is being sent to David to confront him with his sins. And by grace, Nathan, David, breaks down and repents of his sin. And it's shortly after that that we know that he writes this psalm, Psalm 51. Now the question is, how does this psalm apply to your life? When you read this language, this strong emotional language, and you consider the kind of sin that David had committed, how grievous that sin was. Maybe, have you ever wondered, does this really apply to my life? I've never committed these kind of things, and this emotional language might not completely resonate in my own heart. But as we go through this text, I want you to notice that this is not so much about severity, but about sincerity. As all the, high, all the elements of true repentance are being highlighted in this psalm, does that resonate with you? That is the question you should be asking as we go through this text. But even then, if you're still struggling, and you don't know if this is a reality in your life, I'm going to argue that at the core of this psalm is a longing for God, a longing to be reconciled to God, a longing to live for God, a longing to have that peaceful relationship with God. 
And it is that longing that drives this repentance. And this then we will consider with our text, Psalm 51, verses 1 to 19. And rather than reading it all over again, I want to ask you to keep your Bibles open as we will follow this text very closely. And our theme this evening is, what is true repentance? With three points. It is a heartfelt confession, verses 1 to 9. It is a longing for restoration, verses 10 to 13. And it is a promise of true worship, verses 14 to 19. And before we get into it, I just want to explain that these passages are written in a structure that is quite common in the Old Testament, where what's being highlighted and emphasized is at the middle of the passage. So what we'll do is we're going to take the beginnings and the ends and sort of work our way to the middle. And you will see that as we follow the text. So our first point, a heartfelt confession. And first of all, we see David confessing the need for mercy. Right in verse 1, what is he asking for? Have mercy upon me, O God. And in verse 9 again, Hide thy face from my sins. Look the other way, Lord, and blot out all my iniquities. Wipe them all out, Lord. Cleanse my record. What does it mean to have mercy? It actually means for God not to punish you for what you have done for your sins. And David is pleading here with God. He's not just simply asking for God to overlook his sins. He's pleading with God based on who God is. He's pleading upon God's attributes. He's pleading upon his loving kindness. The word that's being used here really expresses God's faithfulness to his covenant. The covenant that he had made with David as his child. And also on God's tender love. That would be the emotional aspect. He says, God, because you are faithful to your covenant and because you're loving and kind, please forgive me. Now, why is that? Why is he confessing his need for forgiveness? Well, you read this in verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. David wants to hear about his salvation again. He wants God, as it were, to say, to affirm again to him, David, you're still my child. Why? Because the guilt of his sin was weighing down on him so much that it felt as if every bone in his body was broken. His soul was crushed by the guilt, knowing that he was accountable to God for what he did. Now, children... Do you think that at this point it was enough for David if if God would just sort of overlook his sin and just leave it right there and move on with life? Well, if that were the case, this psalm probably would stop right here. But it goes on. David, as he confesses his need for mercy, now also confesses the need for cleansing. 
In verse 2, we read, Wash me truly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And again in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Washing here really talks about a good scrubbing. And cleansing speaks of purification. If the Israelites would go to the temple and there would have been a sacrifice, they would take that blood and sprinkle it upon the people and they would now be declared pure. So David is asking for God to do that to him spiritually, thoroughly, and ritually. He wants to be clean and pure. Why? Because not only does he feel the burden of guilt, he also feels the burden of shame. If you're a true child of God, those two will always go together. When you feel the conviction of sin, there will also be the shame. You feel polluted. You feel filthy before the Lord. Just to give you an example, children. When I was about seven or eight years old, I was riding my bike through the neighborhood with my friends, and I found this big puddle, and I started racing through it, back and forth, back and forth. My friends thought it was hilarious, till it was about covered in mud from tip to toe. Then I had to go home and face my mom. And I remember walking into the house, being very, very embarrassed. And it wasn't even so much because it was covered in mud. But because I was at an age when you no longer jump in muddy puddles. I was too old for this thing. And here I had done it anyway. And now my mom had to go about cleaning up this mess. I was ashamed because of what I had done. And how much more so David, when he has committed this wicked sin, has appeared before the Lord, he's been discovered to his sin, and he feels deeply ashamed and polluted. So he desires to be cleansed. So what then was it that made David so aware of his guilt and of his shame? Well, we see in the text also the confessing, how he is confessing the need for a clean conscience. In verse 3 it says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David's conscience had been gnawing away at him. It was his conscience that made him aware of his guilt and his shame. You see, when David says here, children, just just to ask, do you think that when Nathan comes to David's palace, almost a year after he had done this sin, and David tells him this story, and then he's done, and he says, David, you are that man. Do you really think that, David, that Nathan must have been at that point? Oh, yeah, I remember. Of course not. It says, my sin was ever before me. It's like David 
He was looking at it every single day. That conscience had been gnawing away at him the whole time he did this. The whole time as he was trying to cover it up. But this conscience would give him no rest. Why is that? In verse 6 we read, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David here confesses that what the Lord desires to dwell in his heart is truth. And is he particularly referring to the fact that he knows that God wants him to be transparent with him? God knows what's in his heart. God knows what he has done. David knows it. Just confess it, David. And then it says, And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Wisdom here speaks about a life of piety, walking in line, in step with God's will and in his word. David says he knows that this is what God had desired of him. And all that time... David had refused to be honest with himself and with God. And when you're trying to suppress a sin in your heart and refusing to confess it, try walking a pious walk. Try to be godly. It's impossible. And David knows it. And he knows that God knows it. So what was it then? that was gnawing away at David's conscience? What was it that David needed to confess? And then we get to the sin itself. In verse 4a, it says, Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. Notice David is not going into the juicy details of everything that he had done. Neither is he overlooking the fact That his sin had had terrible consequences for Bathsheba, Uriah, and everybody else involved. But he goes directly to the core of the matter. I have sinned against you, O God. And I've done it in your sight. He knew that during this whole process, for the first time that he took a lustful look to this woman... To the point where he took her. To the point where he murdered her husband. And when he tried to cover it all up. That God was watching. He was doing it before God's eyes. He knew it. Now how is it possible that he could do such a thing. Knowing that God was watching the whole time. As we read in verse 5. Behold I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. He's going back to the fact that he was born a sinner. Born with a sinful nature. And he's saying, even after having been saved, in this moment, in the moment when he sinned, he let that old nature take over in his life. He let it take the helm. So he's confessing. Not just his sin, but the fact that he is a sinner. And he let that sin rule over himself. 
And therefore he goes to God and says that he has done it in his sight. Why? Because God is the ultimate judge. God is the ultimate judge to whom he is accountable. But not only is God the ultimate judge, it was this God also who had been so good to him. This God who had taken him from the sheepfold to be the king of Israel. And if that wasn't enough, he had promised David a dynasty out of which one day the Messiah would be born. He was privileged beyond imagination. And against this good God, he had committed this heinous crime. Considering all this then, what really is the only conclusion which with with which David is left. That is the vindication of God. Verse 4b, which I would argue is the emphasis of this passage. It says that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David is vindicating God. God, you are pure and just and holy, even... If you decide to punish me, despite having asked for forgiveness, God is righteous and just when he would punish David for his sins. What's completely missing here is excuses and blame shifting. David knows he's guilty and he's vindicating God. And when God pronounces judgment... He remains pure and holy. Why is that? Because true spirit-worked conviction of sin will always clear God of any injustice. So we've seen David is confessing his need for mercy. He confesses his need for cleansing. He confesses his need for a clean conscience. He confesses his sin, and he confesses the vindication of God. What does it mean to you and I? This is true confession, true repentance. His guilt has been revealed, and therefore he pleads for mercy. He has been made awareness of his shame. And therefore, he desires to be cleansed. It's a result of this conviction conviction that is causing a confession that is comprehensive. Goes directly to the core and ultimately vindicates God. And yet it is a confession that recognizes by faith that God is faithful That God is loving and kind. In essence, essence, David is saying, God is willing to save, and God is able to save. Can you repeat that and apply that to yourself? Is God willing to save you, and is He able to? What becomes so clear from this text is that God was David's only hope. 
he goes right back to the very judge to whom he was accountable, who saw the complete extent of that wicked sin that he had committed. He goes straight to God. God was his only hope. Has God ever become your only hope for salvation? If that is the case, where do you think that sense comes from? That brings us to our second point. A longing for restoration. And first of all, we see in this passage from verse 10 to 13, a longing for a clean spirit. In verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So a couple of verses ago, David had been saying that he wanted a clean conscience. The conscience was reminding him about the things of the past. Now he's asking for a clean spirit. A spirit that does not yield to temptation and sinful thoughts and imaginations. What he's really speaking here about is the thoughts and the, and the fantasies of the mind. He's asking God to cleanse his mind. Have you ever struggled that? Have you ever struggled in your mind against filthy thoughts, unrighteous thoughts, unjust thoughts, angry thoughts, all those things? David says, I want to be rid of all that. I want my mind to be clean. I want my thoughts to be pure and holy. And my imaginations and all my thinking geared towards heaven, geared towards God. So he's asking God to regenerate his heart. This is a divine work. He says, create in me. It's not that David is saying that he wasn't saved up until this point. He's pointing out that only God, by divine power, can give him that recreated, clean heart. That's what he asks for. Why? Because he wants that relationship with God restored. He wants his mind to be geared toward God. And he wants to have that freedom to proclaim that grace to other sinners. Verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He wants to give his testimony. He wants to be able to declare God's goodness to others with a clean conscience. Now, think about it. When your mind is in the gutters, have you ever tried to testify to others about how good God is and what He has done for you in your life? It's difficult, isn't it? It might not even occur to you because we get preoccupied with sinful thoughts and imaginations. But David says, no, I want my thoughts to be clean so I can also speak to others about the goodness of God. But that raises the question, what is the necessary condition to have that clean spirit, to have that pure mind that is geared toward God's? Well, here we see in the passage also the longing for the Holy Spirit's presence. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free 
spirit. In order for our spirits, our minds, to be cleansed, to be pure, we need to have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And David, therefore, is pleading with the Lord that he would not withdraw his Holy Spirit from him. That's what we do when we sin. We grieve the Holy Spirit and we drive him, as it were, away. Capturing ourselves, leaving ourselves vulnerable to sinful thoughts and temptation. David says, please, Lord, do not withdraw your spirit from me. He wants to enjoy the communion of the Holy Spirit in his heart. He wants to have fellowship with God. You cannot have fellowship and communion with God when you're living in sin. David is begging the Lord for the presence of his Holy Spirit because he cannot stand the thought of God being absent. He wants to be with God. He wants to know that nearness at all the time. And I will argue that this is the highlight of this whole psalm. A longing for God a longing for him to not withdraw his spirit, but to know that it is a good relationship with God, an undisturbed relationship, a relationship that is open and transparent. That's what David wants. He wants that sin out of his life in order to make room for God, for his spirit to be in him, in his heart. That's at the core of this psalm. That is what leads him, that drives him to confess all his sins. Lord, here it all is. I've got nothing. Please cleanse me that I might be restored again. Do you know of that longing for God in your heart? The longing to have a good relationship with God. Longing to know that it is well with your soul, that your sins have been forgiven. To have that peace in your heart, in a quiet conscience. Because that also, the longing for God also drives us and drives David to the promise of true worship. And that is our third point. The promise of true worship that David offers to God if he would but cleanse him. In verse 14 and 19, in verse 14 we read, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. And in verse 19, Then shalt thou be pleased with sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. What's David asking for here? He's really asking for unhindered worship. Worship that is not hindered by a guilty conscience. He's speaking about genuine praise here. In verse 14, he's speaking about singing the Psalms. And in verse 19, he is speaking about participating in the worship service and bringing his sacrifices before the Lord. He's essentially saying the same as what we would say today to be able to come to church, hear the Word of God, sing the Psalms aloud, and to with joy bring your offerings to the Lord. That's what he wants. 
So he's going back to that sin once more, that sin that hindered his conscience. And it is blood guilt. That blood guilt that caused him to confess his sin, that blood guilt of which he realized that it separated him from God, that blood guilt now also hinders him in worship. Have you ever been at a place in your life when you know that it was like an unresolved issue in your heart, some sin, of which you weren't sure if it was forgiven or not, it hadn't been properly resolved, can you then come to the house of the Lord and worship uninterrupted and unbothered by this sin? Can you bellow out the Psalms? Can you with joy bring your tithes and offerings when there's a sin that's in the way? David is asking God once more to take that sin away because simply coming to worship, just being there, physical presence, going through all the motions was not enough for him. Is it enough for you to just simply come to church and go through the motions and read your Bible and say your prayers and call it good? David wants wholehearted worship, unhindered by sin and a burdened conscience and a polluted mind. That's why we so often pray, don't we, when we come to church, Lord, take away all those distracting and sinful thoughts. Clear our minds and our hearts to worship you. So having said that, the question now is what that true worship is going to look like for David after he had been restored. And we see the next thing he's promising is promising praise. And particularly in the form of a testimony. In verse 15 we read, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. And that praise then would result in an upbuilding and extension of God's church, which we can read in verse 18. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion, build thou the walls of Jerusalem. What exactly is he asking for here? He's asking for God to open up his lips so that he may share of the goodness of God. You cannot quite open your mouth and testify of good, God's goodness if you don't know that your sins have been forgiven, do you? You need to, that assurance of salvation in your heart in order for you to go out there and freely declare God's goodness unto others. That's what David is asking for. And then he's asking for God to use that testimony to bestow his favor upon the church. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Zion here is speaking of the church. And when David says, do good unto, build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Now, children, maybe you know that back in the day, these old cities would have walls around them to protect them against enemies. But when you wanted to grow your city you would have to build new walls. You would have to extend the walls in order to build new sections for people to build new houses and grow your city that way. So now David is asking, he's not asking for God to build his literal city of Jerusalem. He's asking for God, in a sense, to build and expand 
the church. By bringing sinners, new, by converting more people and bringing them into the church. And now he's asking God to use his testimony to do that. Now, why was that so important to David? Because David was the captain over God's people. You read that title when, when Samuel anoints Saul in 1 Samuel 1 verse 10. He anoints Saul to be the captain over God's people. And now David had taken the place of Saul. So now David was the captain over God's people. What does that mean? It means that unlike the rulers of these surrounding nations, David was not to rule simply by his own right, but on behalf of God, in accordance with God's law. He was to rule over God's people on behalf of God. Now, when Nathan comes to him and confronts him with his sin, he says to David, and these are the words of the Lord through Nathan to David, he says, You have caused the Gentiles to blaspheme my name. David's sin had done great damage to the kingdom of God. He thought he had covered it all up. People might not have known, he thought. But everybody knew. Even the Gentile nations knew. What damage do you think that would have done to the church? What damage does it do today when a prominent pastor falls into sin and this scandal comes out? There's huge damage, doesn't it? And David realizes, this is me. This is what I've done. But he wants for God to continue to build his kingdom. He feels terrible about the fact that what he did caused so much damage. So he says, Lord, take this testimony. Forgive me my sins and take my testimony and use it for the furtherance of your church. He's asking essentially for God to use this sin for good. How do we know that? Right in the beginning of the psalm, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. David wrote this psalm not for his own devotions. He wrote it and then he gave it to the chief worship leader in the temple. He said, Here, I want you to sing this out loud for everybody to hear. How good of a God I have. I am a great sinner. True. But God is even greater. I have a greater Savior. David's testimony would be instrumental to the building of the kingdom of God. That's why we're still reading this psalm today, the testimony to how God answered his prayer. But do you see now how important it is that we cannot, how how important it is that you genuinely know saving grace in your heart in order to praise God? That it is more than just going through the motions of religion. You must know the grace of God that your sins have been forgiven and that leads David to his ultimate praise spiritual sacrifice which you can read in verse 16 and 17 for thou desirest not sacrifice else would I give it thou delightest not in burnt offering the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart O God thou wilt not despise 
This is the only thing that David can offer to the Lord, is a broken spirit, a remorseful spirit, a spirit that grieves over sin, that has no pride and no self-righteousness left whatsoever. That's what a broken spirit truly means. No more pride, no more self-righteousness, nothing that you can bring to God other than your grief over sin. How deep that grief is, doesn't say. But a broken spirit that truly mourns sin. Here, David is sacrificing to God on God's terms by bringing that broken and humble heart to him. And we notice from the history also when when Nathan confronts David with his sin, David doesn't go off to the temple to offer or sacrifice a thousand bullocks. He goes in his inner closet to pray to God. And here you see, David understood the meaning of the sacrificial system in Israel. So many of the Jews did not. They thought that these sacrifices could somehow wipe out their sins. That if you just bring enough cows or sheep or goats or whatever it is, then God would forgive them as a payment somehow. But David understood this. This is not the meaning of the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system shows that it is God who has provided that righteousness that he now needs, that cleansing from sin. And therefore, he goes straight to God and he completely surrenders himself. A broken heart and a broken spirit. Essentially, he's saying, Lord, I've got nothing. I've got absolutely nothing except but sin and pollution. That's all I can bring. Have mercy on me. You think about that. When you come to the Lord with that attitude, a broken heart, a broken spirit, Lord, I've got nothing. I only have sin. You put yourself completely at His mercy. God can now do with your life whatever He pleases. You've vindicated Him. Your life now belongs completely to Him. Your hope is only in His forgiveness and in Christ's righteousness. But it also means that from here on, He's the Lord of your life. He can do with your life whatever He pleases. This is ultimate surrender. This is ultimate worship, to throw yourself at the feet of Christ. Here David is. He's essentially come full circle. From the beginning of this psalm to the end, he began by pleading upon God's faithfulness and upon God's loving kindness. And here he is, sacrificing his life to God as the ultimate worship and praise. Because he knew that he had deserved absolutely nothing. And yet he's not only pleading for forgiveness, as we saw in point one, but desiring to sacrifice himself to the Lord in worship and praise. Have you been brought to that point? Will you come to realize, Lord, forgive me my sins because I truly want to live 
wholeheartedly for you and to give you praise and glory for everything. And I want you to use my life as an instrument to proclaim forth your glory unto others. That's what David is doing. And that's how it applies to us as well. This psalm was written for us to show what true repentance is. A heartfelt confession of sin. Stirred by a longing for God. With a desire to live for Him. A life of praise. What does this psalm mean to you? An unbeliever can look at this psalm and see nothing but doom and gloom. And Satan will tell you, you go through life, when you surrender your life to Christ, you follow him, this is your lot. You're going to be crying and miserable for the rest of your life. You're every day, you're always going to find sin in yourself, and, and there's no reason for joy anymore. But for a true believer... There is so much beauty to be had in this psalm. Why? Because this is your way back to God. This is your way back to God. If you're struggling, if you have doubts, if you're wrestling with the thought, would God truly receive me? Are these promises for me? Would God cleanse me if I were to come to Him? Have I really repented of my sin? Ask yourself, do you long for God? Do you want your relationship with God restored? Do you want to know that it is at peace with Him? Then go to Him. And confess your sins. Tell him you're guilty. Tell him that you're ashamed of your sins. Tell him what your sins are. And if even if you can't think of a particular sin in this day, confess your sinfulness. Knowing that every single day we walk, we walk through the day, we go about our business, and so many times we just fail to be Christ-like. And that's sin. Confess it all to Him. There's a sweetness in that confession. When you can just all throw it out there. Because you know God knows it anyway. There's no need to hide it. There's no need to cover it up. And then also, do you desire to live a life that pleases Him, that glorifies Him? Surrendering yourself to Him? Or is mere religion good enough for you? Pray through this psalm as we've outlined it and go to Him confessing your sin. 
confessing that it is that you know that it is that sin that separates you from God. But also for believers among us. I want to reiterate what Luther said. Our life is to be one of daily repentance. And maybe if you've struggled with this, you think, well, is it just an apology? If I, if I, if I tell the Lord I'm a sinner, I've sinned, and then, and then sort of move on, and then I feel so cold, that it, feel like it feels so artificial, like it doesn't really do anything with me. Is this repentance real? I'm not telling you to try to produce fake emotions or feelings that aren't there. That's not the point. But I want to urge you to go through this psalm every single day. Confessing your sin. Asking God for mercy because you realize that you're guilty. Of sin or just sinfulness. Telling God that you're ashamed of sin, that, it, that you know that it pollutes you in front of Him when you come before Him. Confessing to the Lord that your conscience has been gnawing at you. Confessing sin itself and telling God that He is just. But especially expressing to the Lord that you want that clean spirit, that you want His presence, that you want His Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And telling Him that it is indeed that wicked sin that drives you away from Him. Realize that. When you have an issue as spouses with your wife or with your husband, what is it that separates you from each other? It's sin, right? There's an issue. Don't you feel like when you throw out the issue and you just apologize, how quickly that relationship is often restored, or at least improved from there on? You do the same with the Lord. You be honest and transparent with Him. And then again, every day, recommit to devote your life to Christ. To be watchful and mindful of the fact that you're supposed to be Christ-like in everything that you do and think and speak. You'll have plenty to confess once you start realizing that we're supposed to be exactly like Christ every single day. And ask Him again, Lord, cleanse me. Take away those hindrances that I might live to praise you with my psalms, with my singing, with my praying, with my devotions, with my testimony. Consecrate my life to Christ. Do you want to consecrate your life to Christ? Do you want to follow Him? Or are there areas in your life that you're not willing to give up? Confess even that to the Lord. And be ready to give up those sins that stand in the way. But the question that we began with is that to what extent do you need to feel all this? That's not being dealt with here. 
It's simply telling you to confess your sins. How do you know it's for you? How do you know if it's enough for you? Well, if God could forgive the likes of David after what he had done, or Jacob, the deceiver, or Samson, who couldn't rule over himself, or a bigot and a persecutor like Paul, what makes you think he cannot save you? This psalm shows you your way back to God. The question is, do you want to go back to God? Do you want that relationship restored with Him? If that is the case, I can confidently proclaim to you, with Christ's own words, you can go to Him in repentance and faith, and He will not cast you out. Amen.